I'm your host, Jeff Dawson, for another episode of Dawson's Domain, where we cover the spectrum of life's pressing issues and events, from politics to relationships, sports to horror, alternative history to poetry, humor to baseball coaching, and everything in between. Good afternoon, Jeff Dawson from a extremely beautiful Saturday afternoon in Dallas, Texas, even though the temperature is in the mid-40s, but hey, it's February. It's supposed to be cold, but it's it's nice. Yeah, we got a little bit of snow, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but you'd think we were having the apocalypse or something. Good Lord. But everything was shut down. We got a one snowflake and everybody lost their minds. Everybody shut it down. Like I said, we'll get into that in a minute. So there won't be an update from Dunstan's because they too were closed. Everybody was closed. Okay, on the business side, if you... Want to call in? The number is 888-627-6008 or 323-744-4831. And I really try and be succinct with the phone numbers and the intonation because we've all got cell phones. But even before that, those of us old enough remember answering machines and those. And you still, to this day, it just blows my mind. People rattle off a phone number and you're like, what the hell was that? And if you don't have a phone that shows you who called, then you're really screwed because, you know, you might get the main number, which going through hospitals, that's a real challenge, but they'll give you their phone number and their extension, but you can't understand a damn thing they're saying because it's like, they got a fire to catch. It's like, what fire do you have to catch? You're leaving a message for a potential client or customer. And if you can't leave, a audible message and phone number you wonder why they're not calling back well that's why because they don't understand you they got mush mouth where you're off to the races and you just rattle the number off and everyone's like huh huh so either people don't call or they do try and call and they get frustrated and all goes to hell and you don't get the return call and you just sit there going i'm waiting i'm waiting well you can wait until hell freezes over because if you can't slow down and give a phone number, people aren't going to call back. So again, it's 888-627-6008 or 323-744-4831. There's also a phone number for iHeart, which is 631-359-9353. All these shows are archived. And the subscription rates start at $2.99, $5.99, $9.99. And I know I said two weeks ago I was going to look into the platinum memberships and the other one. And sadly, I haven't done that. And that's my fault. And I'll be accountable for dropping the ball. You know, that goes in with the speeches I give on my book, Cutting to the Chase, Accountability. If you make a mistake, raise your hand. 
and say, it was me. Don't try and blame it on somebody else. So there's a good example. I made a statement. And, well, that's nice. I got a message because I wanted to bum two smokes last night. And I just got a return message. We'll come get them. Well, I can't, sir, because I'm doing the radio show. But I will take you up on that later. But that's been 16 hours. But, hey, at least he called back. At least he messaged back and said, hey, we got a problem here. So that's good to know. But those are the different subscription rates. And after talking with some of my listeners that have had problems, I've gone into the site and it has been cleaned up and it is a lot easier to log on to get to the show. They've got a lot of options there, whether it's the audio or the video, but it's all right there on the site. You can't miss it. And one listener had a problem with the C uh, archives. Well, we went through that. And we clicked on my show, Dawson's Domain. And it's like, there, now go down here and see where it says archive. He goes, yeah, punch archive, see what pulls up. Everything came up. So now he's happy. Everybody's happy. And that's what we want. We want everybody happy. So we talked a little bit about cutting to the chase. And uh, you all know I am Herbalife distributor i do my shake every day i got a bar protein bar that i take and i actually did the math on that what the shake is running me a month and it's a dollar 30 a meal and that includes the milk but that's also come a distributor and i get a discount which is nice but still even without the discount it's like two and a quarter and is your health worth two and a quarter a day? I would say yes. And I know people are like, this dumbass is smoking. He's talking about health. Yeah, well, I'm working on that. That is my only vice because I can't drink anymore. I don't chase prostitutes. Never have, never will. And yeah, 35 years of construction. That's where I picked it up. It's a very difficult habit to break, but we are making progress. And progress is always good. Absolutely. But Herbalife is, it's really good stuff. And I don't say that. I'm not going to blow, blow smoke up your ass. It's really good stuff, especially if you want energy. The tea, the liftoff, and the total control tablet. If you do this stuff right, the inches drop first and then the pounds drop. And the website to go into it is Jeff Dawson period, go Herbalife, period, com, slash, E-N, dash, U-S. That takes you to my site. You can see everything that's on there. And if you want to buy, then I will get an email that says you want to get in there. I approve it. You go through your order. I approve the order. You do the credit card. And you're done. It's really that easy and i've helped walk a couple of customers through that process and they're like well that's not too bad and i said no it really isn't it really is pretty simplistic and nowadays everybody wants simplicity and uh 
you know, I see that commercial with James Cord Corden, who I just can't stand. I just don't like the guy because he's pushing Weight Watchers and says he's lost 28 pounds and he gets his fat ass into that shopping cart. There's nothing to see here. I just slam him into the meat section, let him roll out and freeze. But uh, for someone who says he's lost 28 pounds, it looks like the same clown that I saw six months ago. And remember, Weight Watchers is paying him a ton of money to do that commercial. And then you look at the gals they got on the commercial, and it's like, yeah, y'all need to push yourselves away from the table. You really do. And that probably upset some people, but you know, it is what it is. Call it out. So there was no meeting at Dunstan's, maybe tonight. Maybe we can get the group together tonight. I know the berries are set on Friday, but due to the inclement weather, they might entertain a Saturday evening. It's hard to say. Of course, that kind of messes up their routine. But one never knows. Might be good to get out of the house. My favorite charity is the Woodall Foundation. Daniel and Becky Woodall. They do, and I've said this many times, God's work with the deaf. I mean, if you're really looking for a charity that you know your money is going to what they say it's going to, and it isn't paying high salaries for a bunch of administrative people that really don't need a job, but they get a job just because someone started the foundation or something, you can rest assured what you donate goes to them traveling to Moldavia, ministering and spending time with the deaf. And they spend a lot of time. They just don't show up like our professional athletes do in their commercials. They make an appearance and then disappear. You never hear from them again. They go, they stay. And I think they're there like a month, sometimes six weeks. Which that could get a little dicey uh, with this Russia-Ukrainian issue in case Russia decides they want more land because Ukraine is the breadbasket of the Soviet Union, if you didn't know. And they've got more natural resources than you can shake a stick at. But they border Ukraine. So that could be a little dicey. But they will continue to go as long as it's safe. And I believe even if it isn't, they would still go because they have a relationship with those people. And uh, they just do great work. And you can find it on Facebook. The Woodall Foundation. Okay. Reviews on my books. And I... Yeah, I'm going to harp on it because there's a lot of people out there that have said, I need to do that. I need to do that. Well, all you got to do is do it. It really isn't that hard. In fact, I had talked to a gal who read The Cauldron about, good Lord, I bet nine or 10 months ago. And I just asked her, so how's your review going? And she had problems with Amazon, which I've had problems with Amazon, still have, still am. <laughs> Posted over 
900 reviews and the sons of bitches took them all down because I pissed somebody off. I hurt somebody's little feelers. Wah, wah, wah. And I kind of have an idea on who got all upset. And it was a book I reviewed and the gal didn't like my review. The book was supposed to be about her father was over grave registration after World War II. And uh, I don't know. It could have been her, but it's it's hard to say. That's just the one that comes to light on who kept sending messages back about that's not you're not being nice. You shouldn't have written that. You shouldn't have posted that. You wanted an honest review. Remember, you came to me for an honest review, and I've had plenty of one star reviews, and they have made me a better writer. But she got her feelers all upset because the book was all about her. Look at me. Look what I did. Look what it's supposed to be about your dad and what he did, you twit. But, yeah, that's the one that comes to mind. Got her feelers hurt. And I'm sure there could have been another author or two that came to me requesting an honest review. Let's not let's stress that word honest. And I was honest. And they didn't like it. Well, wah, wah, wah. Get over it. You came to me. Didn't like what I wrote? Hey, you're getting a, because what's the big word today? Diverse. You got a very diverse opinion on what all of your friends said was a really good story. And when it came down to it, it is a bunch of crap. Poorly formatted, poorly edited, poor timeline, poor storyline, poor character development, but you wanted a glowing review for crap. That You're not going to get that from me because I'm hard on myself when it comes to writing. And if I don't like what I've written, I don't like it. It's really that simple. Accountability. There's that word again. Be accountable to yourself too. In fact, I just released Roadkill And people have asked me about printed copies. Well, here we go with Amazon. I don't know what the hell's going on with Amazon. The ebook came out, no problem. Well, the printed version, we are having a problem, or Amazon's having a problem. We have to enter the ISBN number that we either get through Amazon for free, or I bought a packet from Bowker years ago. I've still got three titles to add in there. And they're having a problem because they will, you type in this identification number and then they can cross check it with who you got it from. Well, apparently that feature is down right now. So I don't know when the uh, printed version is going to be available. I check it every day. I plug in the information. Oh, we're still having problems that we're working on. Well, get off your dead ass and get it fixed. What seems to be the issue here? Just like put all my reviews back up, dumb sons of bitches. Quit screwing around and get it done. So the Kindle version of Roadkill is out. And I still got a couple of beta readers who said they were going to read it and either forgot about it or read it and didn't send me a comment, I'll probably have to follow up with them. Because if something needs to be revised, I'll revise it. But I really do like the end. And I've had several people make comment on that. I've also had 
uh, one reader had a problem with the discussions and I did go in and look at that. It's like, well, no, there's a reason I did that. If you're really invested with the characters, then you'll know who's talking because there's a couple of places where I don't put any name tags down. And that was deliberate. It wasn't a mistake. It was deliberate. So you get the, you know who one of them is if you've really gotten into the story. The other one you don't know about, but as you read the story, it's like there's somebody else out here who knows what's going on, but we really don't know who it is until the very end. And then you find out and it's like, I'll be damned. That's who it was. So as a writer, you can't always, you have to leave some loops open. So you keep the reader's attention. At least that's my thinking. Is that for everybody? Probably not. But hey, that's the way this story panned out. It I started it seven years ago and decided around Christmas it's time for this to be done. And it's done. One uh, reader said I rushed it a little bit. So I read back through it and it's like, maybe a little, but... I didn't want to keep dragging it out and the characters didn't want to drag it out. I mean, a lot of people die in this story. This is about a drug cartel moving into Oklahoma and a crooked Tulsa detective who's trying to run the Oklahoma organization. And he's trying to bring in all the lower dealers and some like it and some don't. And there's just a lot of, Suspense and intrigue and bloodshed. I mean, we're dealing with the cartel. Even though they don't like dealing in blood, it's part of the business. And uh, it, I really did like the way it came together at the end. My book review today is on Chesty Puller. Now, some of you might not know who he is or was, but the book was Indomitable Spirit. And I won't read the whole thing, but I'll give you the gist of it. Good Lord, if he was serving today, you can bet the media would be all over him and not in a good way. This was a soldier, soldier who loved as his cousin George Patton said, the sting of battle. Lewis Puller knew his family had fought for his country and would be no different. He revealed at the tales, he reveled at the tales he heard of the great Southern generals who almost defeated the blue bellies of the North. In this climate of political correctness, the morons who want to take down the statues that honor the men who fought for the South have no historical knowledge of the men spawned from these military men. Hell, one of Chesty's relatives fought for the North. When the war was over, he was never invited to spend time with the family again, but they also realized that for America to be a great nation, it cannot be divided. I mean, this is his family fought for the South, one fought for the North, and like, you're not coming to, you're not coming to Sunday dinner anymore. Imagine that in a Blue Bloods episode. No, I'm sorry, you fought for the wrong people. No, you voted for the wrong people. 
you can't come and break bread with us anymore. Puller was a soldier soldier. Even though he rose through the ranks from a buck private to a lieutenant general, he never forgot about the men who did the fighting. Like Patton, he led from the front and not the rear. He does not hide his discontent for those who issued orders from the rear areas with no grasp of the situation at the front. Sound familiar? My God, are we not seeing it? We've seen it under Biden. We've seen it under Trump. We saw it under Obama. Look at the accolades of the guys on the Joint Chiefs of Staff and how many actually were in combat. How many earned their stripes? They don't. They've done it through their diplomas and politicking. In fact, a buddy of mine who retired as a full bird colonel said he got out. He thought about getting a star, but one of his buddies who was a two-star general had told him, man, the politics is horrendous. You really don't want any part of this. So he got out because of the politics. It's pretty sad when politics take over your military. It serves no purpose, just more confusion as we saw in Afghanistan. Who was accountable for that fiasco? McKenzie? None of them actually came out and said, we screwed the pooch. But the media said it was the greatest airlift in history. No, it wasn't. The greatest airlift in history was keeping the people in Berlin alive when the Russians shut off all the power and water to West Berlin. That was an airlift 24-7. You want to talk about the greatest evacuation? It wasn't Afghanistan. It's what the British did at Dunkirk with the little boats. Seven days, four, over 400,000 men evacuated from the beaches. That was something. Okay. All right, let me get back to a little more of the review. Did the man have faults? Well, of course. Some reviewers pointed out that they weren't covered in the story. Too bad. If you read between the lines and see how slow his promotion to Brigadier General was, you know his rough and tumble ways were not embraced by those who were encompassed with jealousy and envy at his accomplishments. There's politics again. And this is back in the 50s and 60s. And he's dealing with this crap, just like Patton dealt with it. We see those who didn't like him jump with glee when he returned from Korea and was misquoted about beer and whiskey for the troops. Puller was right when he asked, are these people Americans referring to the press? Sound familiar? So press and politics and it all goes to shit in the handbasket. But without getting into the rest of it, if you haven't read anything on Puller, that book, Indomitable Spirit, is great. Very enlightening. Very enlightening. As a five-star for me, of which I have started another book that I, I am working on another book that I started five years ago. It's about the Battle of Curse, the largest armored battle in World War II. And it, it decided the fate of Germany. More than D-Day, more than North Africa. If the Germans could have been successful, they probably could have prolonged the war maybe another year, maybe. They would not have been victorious, but if they could have stemmed the Russian tide, 
then they might have been able to shift a lot of forces, a lot more forces to Italy and Normandy. Now, granted, we had air superiority, but it could have been a hell of a lot harder slugging for our troops. And like I said, it could have prolonged the war, say, another six to 12 months. That it never completely defeated Russia because Russia was just getting stronger and stronger. But I believe I've come up with a title. And it's going to be survival because that's really what the story is going to be about. It's going to focus around two colonels, one in the Red Air Force, one in the Luftwaffe, and two tank commanders, one Russian, one German, and this old woman who is caught between these two mammoth forces. She has seen the Russians, how they treated people. She's seen how the Germans treated people, and she's just had enough of their shit. She just wants them all to go away so she can just live and survive. And that came to me about a week ago when I was typing a chapter and was like, what am I going to call? I don't want to call it curse because that title has been used over and over and over. And it's like, what is this really about? And then it dawned on it's going to be about survival. Because that's what this gal wants to do. Now, she's got some really evil ways about her. Imagine that. Me coming up with an evil character. Well, she is. No doubt about it. Because she just wants to survive. And she will do whatever it takes. And it's... Uh, I don't know if you read the book, 900 Day Siege. You might get an idea where I'm going with where her character is going because that was the 900 day siege was about Leningrad. That's how many days it was surrounded by the German forces until the Russians finally broke that ring in 44. That's one good book. I'll have to review that sometime. Okay. Baseball update. I've been talking with my buddy, Ben Deitler, D-E-I-T-E-R. He has the Rangers podcast on Facebook. And if you're a baseball fan, you would enjoy him very much so. A week or so ago, a buddy said, well, it looks like they're coming to terms. And I said, what, did, did I miss the memo that hell froze over? They're not coming to terms. Well, they haven't. Not even close. Now they want a federal mediator to come in because the owners and the players can't come to terms. So I came up with an idea, and this is what I told Ben, and I hope he follows through with it. We do a Zoom call and have a mock negotiation. These guys, you know, how many millions of dollars are they going to pay some federal mediator to come in and deal with these pansy-ass sons of bitches? Way too much. I mean, the money they will spend on that could much better be served with helping the kids and the minors, but they're not going to look at that. So they just got money to burn. MLB's got money to burn, but they won't admit to that at all. So my suggestion was, well, let's just go get two people off the street that are not vested 
with the MLB. They, they can be fans, but they really have no affiliation with them. They're going to, the owners are going to have their list of grievances. The players are going to have their list of grievances. They're going to hand it to these two people. They're going to buy them a 12 inch pizza. They're going to put them in a room and say, when the pizza's done, you have to come out and tell us what we're going to do. And they have to have carte blanche. That's it. What they come up with, that's what you have to do. We're not going to say, oh, we didn't agree with this. And another thing they're going to do is they're going to, they're going to read through all the grievances and they're immediately going to get rid of 20 to 30% of them. Say, this is bullshit. This is bullshit. This is bullshit. And then they're going to flesh through it and get down to the crux of the problem. And they're going to come up with an agreement and that's it. And they're done. They're going to write it down. They're going to initial it. They're going to sign it. They're going to initial it and say, here's the new CBA. And if the union doesn't like it, if the owners doesn't like it, tough shit. Y'all couldn't figure it out yourselves. So here's the deal. Here's what you're going to do. Shut the hell up and go play ball because there's no football this weekend, right? So a lot of people are going into withdrawal. So what the hell am I going to watch? Unless you're a basketball fan or a hockey fan, you just don't have much to watch, which there is a lot going on in those two sports. But I am not an avid, I can't stand basketball, and I'm not a diehard hockey fan. I can watch it, but that's okay. I gear up for baseball, as most of us do this time of year that are fans of it. But as of right now, we're not gearing up for shit. We're gearing up for a long, drawn-out BS negotiation that nobody wins, especially the fans. My God, we just got out of COVID to a degree, and you want to keep up this crap? You want to come up with another reason why you can't have fans in the stadium? Well, keep it up, you dumbasses. We as fans are sick of these salaries. You want to pay the minor leaguers more? Look what the Rangers are paying Corey Seager. $35 million a year. Hey, we're going to take 2% of that and send it to the minors. Oh, you can't do that. Well, Corey, you really going to be able to spend $35 million every year? No. What about Mike Trout? No. What about, uh, oh, damn. The Japanese guy with the range uh, with the uh, Angels, Otani, uh, Strasburg, Verlander, if he's coming back, uh, you all can take a deduction and send it to the minors. You think that's going to happen? No, that's my money. Well, isn't that what the owners are saying? That's my money. What a bunch of crybabies. None of them can do anything right. None of them. I mean, it's just completely out of hand. And one thing when it comes to baseball, youth baseball is getting ready to start, at least in the south. Up north, no, I'm sorry, you guys got to wait till. March for your fields to thaw out and dry up. But uh, as a coach, player, umpire for over 30 plus years, 
I always looked forward to this time of year because I would be out there coaching kids or calling games or helping in general. And parents today, and actually this has been going on for decades, they need to do what the owners and the players need to do is pull their heads out. This is not about you. This is about the kids. And if you can't teach the kids how to play the game, then you don't need to be a coach. And if the if you are a coach and the only player you think of importance is your son or your daughter, you don't need to be coaching. I've seen this through the years where, for whatever reason, the coach just thinks that their kid's the best. And nine times out of ten, eight times out of ten, they're not. But it's all about the ego. It's all about dad and mom and their ego. Well, take your egos and put them on the bottom shelf and leave the house because that's where they belong. When you come onto that field, you are there for all the kids. I coached my boys. I coached my daughter. I knew their strengths. I knew their weaknesses. They did not get preferential treatment. They didn't bat fourth. They didn't pitch. They didn't play first base. They played the positions they were good at. And for the most part, my daughter was a catcher. My oldest son was a really good outfielder and third baseman. And my youngest son was a, he was a speedster. So he was in the outfield. He had the arm of a noodle. Never could break him of the way he threw the ball but he could chase anything down. I mean, he really could. But when he would use his whole arm motion to throw the ball in, it was it was serviceable. Whereas my oldest son, he didn't have the speed of his brother, but he had an arm that was a rocket. I mean, damn, catching that ball coming from the outfield, you better pay attention because he would put one hell of a spin on it and it would break about four to five feet coming in. So you just, you really had to focus watching him throwing. It was, it was coming in with heat on it. But I coached the kids. I coached the team. I didn't coach the individual and ignore everyone else. And that to me is a successful coach. And what's really successful, folks, is when your kids start coaching themselves. And that's what I always wanted. I wanted them to hold each other accountable. That was first and foremost in my mind, accountability. Damn, there's that word again. Seems to pop up all the time, doesn't it? If we had more of that, maybe the world wouldn't be in such a shithole that it is right now. Accountability goes a long way. Eliminates a pro a lot of unwanted BS problems that people can wave a magic wand and make appear in a heartbeat, but they can't make it disappear because they run away and hide. Okay, so that's where we are with uh, MLB baseball and the shitter again. Good job, Manfred. Good job, guys. Y'all could screw up a wet dream and not even think about it. Okay, I wanted to go back a year ago when there was a debate on electric vehicles. And I did some research on that. Because one person 
at a post that gas would be zero point zero zero dollars. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Gas will never be free. That's what they were alluding to. So I went through all the information that was available. And in the post that I had, as a truck owner and a 35-year career in construction, with the auto manufacturers that concentrate on mileage, we're more concerned with power and performance. Most of our sites are rugged terrain, and we expect our vehicles to perform, pulling trailers, hauling loads, pulling out of mud, towing other vehicles, etc. MPH or Volt is a secondary thought. I'll also add in service trucks and construction equipment. Now, what I was getting at is, at that time, there was no real talk of a pickup truck being electrified. So my hat is off to Ford. How they kept this quiet in the days of corporate espionage, man, they kept it down because they are releasing the lightning next year. Now, which is going to start at, I think, $48,000. But what was interesting was the average price when I was looking at this a year ago was $81,000 for an electric vehicle, which how many people can afford that? Yeah, the top 15% in the United States can afford that. You will always have rich people. But is that enough to sustain that vehicle? That vehicle? Now, if you dropped out the uh, the high-end Porsche, Taycan, and the Carmen GS6, then the average price comes down to $55,000. That's still pricey for something that is unproven yet. Now, the deal with the Lightning, it's the maintenance. No one's really talking about the maintenance on these vehicles yet. But the battery replacement is going to run anywhere from eight to twenty thousand dollars. Well, if that's the case, good luck financing that. Are you going to, have to pull a third mortgage on your house or get an additional loan increase on your vehicle? I mean, this is what's going to kill these deals. Now, they're saying the batteries are going to last, I think, seven to ten years. Which they damn well better because what's the average note now? 72 months on a new vehicle? Hell, when I was looking at vehicles, anything past 40, 48 months was unheard of. Well, they kept extending out the payment plans. Well, they had to because the price of the vehicles kept increasing. There go the unions. How about that? So I just wanted to briefly touch on that is Ford's the one coming out with the truck. Let's see how it reacts. Okay. I talked about the weather when we first started. And 
once again, we saw rampant idiocy and stupidity across the board. Even when I was talking to Don before we went on air, they shut down the bars, they've shut down the stores, they've shut down the restrooms. We saw a flake of snow. I don't know where this thinking came from other than media hysteria. One day, a cold weather. I went grocery shopping probably two and a half or three weeks ago. I knew it'd get cold, so I bought soups and stews since I can't really cook anything in my room per se. Water. I had all the basics, bread. And then I see pictures of empty shelves, just like we saw with the pandemic. And my youngest son, Sean, called up, and he just ran and raved about this. Online. He just couldn't believe it. Well, what I'd like to know, which you can't do a number on it, is how much of all of this got wasted, especially milk and eggs. They don't have an indefinite shelf life. And if you freeze it, which I'm sure someone has, wait till it thaws out. Yeah, drink that milk after it froze and thaws out. Yeah, you'll be puking all over the place. Eggs don't last forever. And you really think all these people know how to cook and bake? I don't. I mean, I remember going down the flyer in the sugar aisle as the pandemic was picking up. Good Lord. It was empty. You really think that many gals remember how to bake and cook? I don't because those shelves were always full. Oh, everybody, panic, panic, panic. Everyone's in a panic. Understand the roads get bad. That happens, especially in the South. We're not geared for it. But this panic bind, I'd really like to know. But then people would have to be honest and accountable on, yeah, we bought five gallons of milk and threw out four. Well, that's just ignorance. Just ignorance. Panic buying. One day, one day we couldn't get out in Dallas. So what? One day. Good Lord. But it was also going on in Tulsa. And you'll see it on the post. Hell, I saw one gal was having, she'd had four panic attacks. She didn't know what she was going to do with herself. Oh, really? Suck it up. And luckily, this wasn't as horrendous as a year ago when it was a cold blast and we lost power for some people up to a week, if not a week and a half. So I haven't seen if Austin and Abbott are raising their flag of victory that look, we made it. Yeah. You only had one day. I damn well hope the grid could take a day of this. But I'm sure they are. I'm sure they're patting themselves on the back. See what happens. See what happens. Well, we didn't have the horrendous wind. We didn't have the absolutely bone-chilling temperatures for three days. We had a winter day in Texas. That's all we had. Nothing to write home about. Nothing to see. Good Lord. Stupidity. Absolute stupidity. Okay, so yeah, we survived the winter, the one-day winter of 2022. Yay! I put a bullet in their head. Idiots. Beijing Olympics, who cares? 
I'm not watching. And then for that Twit Pelosi, I saw this blurb this morning on Fox. Telling our athletes that you can't speak out. But Joe's all about human rights, isn't he? Isn't that what the administration was touting during the election? We're all about human rights. Oh, but you, if you go over there, don't say anything. Don't stir the pot. I'd be curious if Trump would have sent them over. I don't know. But I I remember you want to talk about something that really rattled the world in the Olympics. Go back to 1936 when they were held in Germany and Jesse Owens won his gold medals and basically threw it in the face of Adolf Hitler about his master race. A black man defeated the blonde-haired, blue-eyed German. There was also a boxing match, and I should have researched that for the show, but it just dawned on me. The myth of the master race was destroyed in 1936 by one man. And he didn't have to be political, but when he won, it became political because Hitler couldn't stand it. Couldn't stand it. Just blew his superhuman stature right out of the stadium. Well done, Jesse. Well done. But, you know, if Pelosi's going to come out there and say our athletes shouldn't speak, why are our athletes there? Why is any country there that supports the West? Oh, we didn't send our diplomats. Nobody cares about the diplomats. They're not the ones that get the airtime, you twits. It's the athletes that get the airtime. And if they're not there, then it diminishes the Olympics in general, doesn't it? Yeah, that's the whole point. You want to make a point? We're not attending. And I'm not watching. I'm not supporting NBC or the Peacock or any of that crap. I don't give a damn. Period. This is another way for China to rake in tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars for their communist capitalist government. And if you're watching, then you're supporting it. And if you are, then you sure the hell can't say you're about human rights because you're supporting a country that doesn't give two shits about them. If they lost 200 million people tomorrow, do you think they'd care? No, unless it was in the military, but the general peasantry, no. Remember the last time they held the Olympics? God, I forgot what year that was. And, but I do remember some of the media coverage and how advanced China is and this, that, and the other. We'll get out of the government-prepared tours and go out into the countryside and see what happens. Yeah, that ain't going to happen. You're not going to expose us for what we are. What a crock. This is no different than what Hitler did. They showed you all the great propaganda films of how all the German people were flourishing. I mean, look at the concentration camp Therenstadt. That was the model camp, and the Red Cross bought into it. 
they didn't realize that it was an extermination camp to go along with it. But they had all these pretty buildings and all these theaters and banks and shops. Well, what good are those when the people have no money and there's nothing in the stores? And even after the war, the Red Cross not being accountable kind of said, well, we didn't know. Well, you didn't look very hard. You didn't look very hard. And you see that exposed in the miniseries Holocaust with James Wood and uh, Meryl Streep. It's a really good miniseries, and it's a free download on YouTube. But it shows what the inspectors didn't want to see. And that went for the prison camps, too. There's plenty of times where they knew in advance that the Red Cross was showing up. Well, of course you can doll everything up and make it look good and just show them what you want them to see and tell them what they will believe because they don't want to stir the pot either because nobody wants to be accountable. What a shocking novel idea, accountability. So no, I don't give a damn about the Olympics. I'm not going to watch it. I don't care about the military. I don't care about any of it. Nothing. Oh, news pundits. God, how do these people have jobs? So Zucker resigns from CNN. So, but I love this headline. News of Zucker's resignation sent shockwaves inside CNN and across the industry. My ass. The only shockwaves it sent is for Fox to do whatever they do. And it's like, man, and 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 kind of like when Chris Cuomo got canned. Man, and 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 what a bunch of damn overpaid millionaire baby. There's no news. We're not getting any news. And then I turned on Fox and somebody shoot me. Uh, and who did I see? But the mad raving Pekingese, Nancy Grace. I was like, oh my God, turn that off. How would you like to wake up to that in the morning? No. How can you be that angry in the morning? Is she ever happy? I don't care if that's her person, if that's her stick. I don't care. I sure the hell don't want to see that in the morning. And then you throw in bobblehead Ainsley. I mean, every time she talks, it's like, oh, please don't talk. Please don't talk. Oh, she did, damn. Somebody shoot me. God, these shows aren't even entertaining. I don't know what the hell they are. Oh, good Lord. And then you've got, oh, they had their, uh, they were all talking about the numbers, the labor numbers. 467,000 jobs were created last month. But the month before, I read an article where 4 million people quit their jobs. That's less than a 10% gain. So 4 million quit and 467 are employed. That is not job creation. And I'm still going to go back to when 22 and a half to 25 million people lost their job with the pandemic. 
And even Trump, you know, Trump wanted to raise the flag. Look at the jobs we're creating. You didn't create. No, you're not. They're just going back to work to the jobs they had. We're still in that cycle. Go down the street. Show me a business that doesn't have a sign we're hiring. Now, if you remember back in 2019, I believe there was a jobs report that there were 250,000 unfilled jobs. That meant the economy was thriving under Trump. I'd never heard numbers like that. Everybody was working that wanted to work, but there were still 250,000 positions available. Now, it didn't go into what those positions were, but there was a surplus of jobs. And these economists, they're just as good as weather forecasters and sports analysts. They can be wrong 90%, 95% of the time and still get paid. And then they bitch about an umpire who misses two calls in a game. Yet he's right 98% of the time, but he gets grief. These people are wrong 95% of the time and don't give grief. Well, that's right. <coughs> They're always patting each other on the back on how great they are so they can give them all awards. And, you know, when it comes to awards for the news media, look who's voting on it. It's just like the Hall of Fame voting this year. Everyone's all upset that Bonds, and uh, Kurt Schilling didn't get in. Well, you got 394 riders. 394 riders out of millions of fans. Why don't we do what we do with the All-Star game? Let the fans vote for the Hall of Famers, not the sports riders, because they, too, have an agenda. And if a person... If a player wasn't nice to them and wouldn't give them interviews, well, I just don't like him, so I won't vote for him. Was he a great player? Well, yeah, but he wouldn't interview me. Well, maybe because you were a prick. And maybe you did write something about him that was untrue, but hey, nobody was going to fact check you. And you went after his, you directly went after his attitude and you painted him black and gave him bad marks. And people read the paper and say, oh, well, he's not a very nice person because so-and-so said so. Like, I give two shits. I mean, I look at the people that are supposed to be sports writers on ESPN and all the other networks. They've got an agenda. Bob Costas, what a clown. They have an agenda, and it's not my agenda. It's theirs. And theirs is like the military. Theirs is political. Well, he voted for Trump, or he voted for Nixon, or he voted for Reagan. I don't like him. And then when I questioned him about, well, why did you vote for him? He said it was none of my damn business. Well, it is my business because the public wants to know. No, the public doesn't want to know. You wanted to know. You're it. You're the only one that wanted to know. And he hurt your feelings. So now you're going to chastise them 
in your article. That's not sports writing. That's bullshit writing. Plain and simple. So on the, you know, the economist. Uh, yeah, I watched a little bit of CNN. Oh, God. All those gals look constipated. They really need some X-Lex or something. But maybe Nancy Grace can go over to CNN or MSNBC. I don't know. But it is what it is. It's pathetic is what it is. You'd be wrong all the time. They were talking about inflation. Well, then they started, this expert started making excuses about inflation. We've never, we haven't seen it in 40 years, but here's what I think is the problem. You don't know. Now, would we have inflation if Trump was still in office? That is a question no one asks. And he would be, he would have to deal with this supply distribution problem. But the way he handled things, I believe he'd have gotten things at least sorted out and organized within a week. Would he have allowed one of his underlings to do it? No, I think he would have said, hey, man, I'm, I'm going down there. And we're, what is the problem? What's it going to take? What do you need from me? And let's get it done. Not this idiot booted Jed who had to take two months off for maternity leave. Two months off from maternity leave. What a clown. God, what an incompetent administration this is. Blinken's an idiot too. All of them are. I mean, the Ukraine deal. This is, I love it. It's kind of like when Joe went to New York about the crime problem. Well, we didn't have a crime problem under Trump, but when you came up with the defund the police in New York and Seattle and... Los Angeles and San Francisco all decided to come up with no bail and all this crap. What do you think is going to happen to crime? But no one wants to be accountable. They want to talk about it. I love it when they say we're talking to the highest sources, to the highest level. What's the highest level? You got the governor, you got the mayor. Well, what's above that? Will that be the president? Who are the higher authorities you're talking to? It basically tells me you're not talking to anybody, nobody. You're just spinning this around the wheel, go round and round and round, and there's no resolution, but we're talking about it. Bullshit. We don't need conversations. We need action. The people that are being carjacked need action. You understand that? You got laws on the books. Enforce them. Oh, we can't do that. You have laws about bail. We eliminated that. What a bunch of dumbasses. It's right there, but no, let's just soft pedal it. And that's what the liberal media is doing. They're soft pedaling it. They won't wake up until it hits their door. Now, I'm not talking about the congressmen and senators, but those who think they know so much that are making five to $10 million a year, giving their opinions on their bullshit agenda. That's all it is. Until it affects them directly, they won't care. 
but it'd have to be across the board. I mean, half of them would have to be victims of a violent crime before they realize, I really don't know what I'm talking about and something, and y'all need to start enforcing the laws. But hey, for the last two years, thanks to BLM and Biden and Obama and Kaepernick and the rest of these clowns, nobody wants to be a policeman. Hell, I wouldn't do it if I was a young man. No way. Because I'm going to be sued. I'm not going to be held accountable. I'm going to be crucified in the media before I ever have my day in court. And I'm going to get threats. People are going to come to the house. Remember when they did that? In 19 and 20, when uh, BLM was going to the residence of people and harassing them. I do. They didn't care about law and order. Not today, not tomorrow, not anytime. They didn't care. Okay. The Ukraine. Are we really sending 8,000 troops to Ukraine to do what? To die? JR from Dallas Online. What happened? See if Mr. JR can hang tight for just a few minutes. Uh, so there's one special guest. Uh, does anybody know that we actually invaded Russia in 1918? We did. And the plan was we were going to meet up with a white force coming out of the Urals and take Moscow over again and throw the communists out. Well, that didn't work so well. We got our ass kicked. Anyone who is not from Russia that tries to go into Russia gets their ass kicked. We do not need any troops in the Ukraine period. And this just goes to show the historical stupidity of this current administration, any administration that thinks they can go in and tell Russia what to do. We don't have a clue. There was a book called Fighting in Hell that I read years ago that the United States military put together because they got two German officers and said, if we go to war with Russia, what's it going to be like? And they said, this is what's going to be like. Best of luck. So we don't need to be there. Period. Period. All right. I want to hit one more before I bring Mr. Jr. on. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg showed her stupidity when she said the Holocaust wasn't about race, that Nazism wasn't about race. When ABC had Last Man Standing on, it was the highest rated show they had. And they canceled it because he kept making fun of Obama and Biden and Clinton. So they canceled it. So why aren't they canceling the view? You come out and say that what happened in the Holocaust wasn't about race. They, the Germans considered everyone subhuman. If you weren't an Aryan, you stupid woman. It was all about race. And I wouldn't didn't watch that episode, but I'm curious 
how many people in that studio audience applauded because of their historical stupidity. And if they applauded, they should all be locked up and sent back to school and retaught World War II history and the rise of the Third Reich. And that's what I got there. All right. I know Mr. JR is working, so let's bring him on, Don. Hey, what's going on, Jeff? Mr. Thomas, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing pretty good. Yourself, man? Not bad. Are you trucking around the, the streets delivering our mail? Yes, I am, actually. Uh, about to get ready to head back to work in a, in a little bit. I'll okay. be in the first part of the day now, but they come back and do the second part. So you got two shifts today? Yeah. Sometimes I volunteer on on the first shift, and sometimes you know, I, I just work the second shift. But uh, most of the time, I go and just do the second shift. I can go ahead and I can go ahead and I mean, go ahead and do the first shift and just go ahead and uh, you know, saying make the just make the extra money. Help okay. out, help out because we're short on drivers and stuff. Hey, right. whatever it takes to keep the dollars flowing, you'll do it, won't you? Yeah. Oh, you know me. I've always been a hard worker and, you know what I'm saying, put my, my mind to it and then I learned how to I have a passion about it. So, yeah, you know me. Yeah. Once you got away from the sterling, everything went well, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but we yeah, won't get yeah, into yeah. that. Okay. Right. <laughs> You know, you went to college in Buffalo, right? No, Josh went to college in Buffalo. I went okay. to college in Iowa. Okay. And I need your take, and that's why I try to get in touch with Lee and Tracy because they both, you all played collegiate football or basketball. You had, for the years I knew you, you had – ambitions of playing in the NFL and you really worked your ass off to try and make that happen. Yes. Your your brother made it, but you didn't. So you've got more insight into this. So what do you think about what's going on with Flores, the NFL and the Miami Dolphins and these lawsuits? Um Personally, um, I feel like that, you know what I'm saying, they didn't give him that even chance in the way how, I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's a lot of he say, she say stuff. So we can't really just go off of uh, really the truth because we don't really know the truth. But he says he has proof of the truth. He has proof of the truth. But if it is, if it is go down and happen like that, it's actually completely wrong on that situation when it came to the Dolphins because the man had two winning seasons. He took the play, he took the Dolphins to the playoff last year. They didn't make it this year, but he had a winning a winning season. And they made they should have at least gave the man at least a chance. And when they didn't give that man at least a chance and they ended up letting him go and then now he kind of putting on the slurge of not getting a getting a job in the NFL right now, like the warehouse, they're not, you know saying they're bring him on, but it's already too late for him to get hired. Or, or whatever, it's kind of completely messed up. Okay. Now his record was five eleven, ten and six, and nine and eight in three years. Mm-hmm. So twenty four and twenty five overall. Now, yes. I don't know 
what his character is like, but you have played, you have, you have played at the collegiate level and I guess, what would you call it? Semi-pro when you were doing Yes. Okay. Did you really care what race your coach was? No, I, I did not care. No. Okay. Well, the guys, and I didn't get their names, but uh, Caitlin, what's her name? Budon had two NFL players on, and one of them made the comment that, well, if we don't get to play for someone of our color, then we're not going to perform. And I was like, did he really say that? Dante, Dante was his first name. And I'm like, if you've got that attitude, you won't last in the NFL very long, will you? No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, everybody has, a, has their own different type of scheme and, you know, saying their different type of style of being a coach out there to play. Now, don't get me wrong. I would love to play for a, a, a black man, a black black man, you know, that has the same type of, you know, what I'm saying style or my child like I do. But I think anybody deserves a chance to go okay. out there to go be a, to, to, to get the ability to, to show their skills, uh, you know, saying also when it comes to, you know, to the older, the older uh, coaches, you also got younger coaches out here that got a better mentality than the older coaches. That's why they're doing a lot of hiring of the younger coaches. Um, these young coaches are showing their style and they're showing their ways of how to get it done a different way. And they bring a, a better, a better, they're pretty much bringing a better style to the game. Okay. Um, you know, as you see as a, as you see as of right now, you you had two NFC coaches that were in the NFC championship game, and they they came with it. Jimmy Garoppolo is not the best quarterback, but he he ended up played very well because he was coached very well. And okay. was a white man, but the, but the white man has a, a a very skilled mind frame. He knows what to do, how to win the games. Uh, Brown Forrest, you know, what I'm saying I've heard great things about the man. I heard the man, you know what I'm saying, he, he's he's true to the game. He wants to he wants to win. He wants to make his team better. You know very, you know saying, very, you know what I'm saying, has a big heart. But you know how these owners are, they kind of work their ways out on different ways, on different days and stuff. And I don't know the Miami owner as it like that, but from what I've you know saying heard these past couple of days, it doesn't look it don't it don't make a good look at him at all. He doesn't have a good look. Okay. Now, you know, we saw this with the Saints when they had their had their scandal under Sean Payton about the headhunting deal. So if what they said is true that Flores was offered a hundred K to lose games for a higher draft pick, how do you look at that? And if he said no, and you're the owner, what do you do with an employee that just told you, I'm not going to do that? Do you keep him or do you fire him? An employer? Um, I'm, I'm the owner of the team, and I'm telling Mr. Mm-hmm. Thomas that you need to lose the next five games, and I'll give you $100,000 extra per loss so that we get a higher draft pick. What are you going to tell me? 
I'm, I'm not going to go out there and lose them game because that's not the way how I play the game. Okay. I play the game to win. I don't play the game to lose. Which, um, you know, but now it, you've been, but now you've ahead. been told to lose games. Right. Do you really want to work for that guy? No, I do not. Okay. So I'm trying to look at this from both sides of it. If someone came in and told me to lose games, well, I know if I say no, I'm probably going to get fired when it's all said Mm -hmm. and done. So I really can't claim that I'm a victim. I'm standing up for what I think is morally right and honoring the initial contract that I signed. Right. And now I'm not going to do this because that's going to go against me. And I don't Mm -hmm. care what color you are. You're going to say, no, I'm not going to do that. And then when that contract expires, because was his contract up at the end of last year? Yeah, next year would have been his last year. Okay, so as it stands, the Dolphins still owe him for a year. Yes, they do. Okay, so they owe him. Do you think that when you look at the numbers, because I was looking at these, they were saying, these two guys, that 70%, 74% of the players in the NFL are black. Then I looked at other numbers that said 68%, 68%, 60, I can't speak, 68%, 68% are, and 28.6% are not Hispanic white, which I, that just drives me nuts. And mm-hmm. then another number said 57.5%. And these are from 2020 and 2021. Um, mm-hmm. Yet they're claiming that the NFL is racist. Well, how can they be racist if the majority of their employees are black? Meaning the players. Meaning the players. How can, because in college, don't you want to be the best you can so that you get into the NFL? That is correct. Okay. But, for him to file this lawsuit that the NFL is racist. And to be honest, they've done more to tout BLM and slogans on helmets and on the fields than any other sport with the exception of the NBA. So do you think the NFL is racist? Um, no, I don't. I don't. I can't say that the NFL is racist. Um, you know, all I know, all of us um, from different cultures that comes to the game to play from from blacks to whites to Asians to Mexicans. You know, what I'm saying a lot of people that love the game. Yes, um, I think you now you might have your certain certain you know saying people that have a different spectator about you know saying certain people in the NFL that might be racist, but, you know, it, it's a good show-off if they're, if they are, are racist. Um, I, I mean, at, at this time, at this moment, it's, it's so confusing. Uh, somebody can put a, 
a mask on right in front of you and you know show you who who they who they not, but then behind that mask will show who they really are. With with this NFL, you you just never know who you might come up to and who you might speak on about. But overall, I don't I can't say that the NFL is racist, but they do have a lot of standards on certain things that um uh, that gives a a, a racist kind of style. Um, they feel like they feel like that the NFL that these black coaches not get really given the chance to to to, to give the ability to, to be a head coach. Uh right. being a assistant coach or being a being a uh you know a, a personal coach with like that, you know, they give them a chance, but giving that giving up that head that head the head uh head coaching skills that you know saying be running the team and everything like that. It's certain way, you know, so we only got right now we only got one black head NFL head coach and that's Mike Tomlin. We had three and two of them just got fired. So, you know, and they feel like that, you know, if these you know black head if these black coaches feel like they don't get a, a, a better chance than these, these, than these white coaches and they made it they made it put it out there saying like that NFL is racist because we don't have really no no black NFL coaches that that we're growing. It's kind of it kind of shows like it like it's racist, but it's, it's really not racist. Uh, it's really not racist at all. It's just how can I say it? Um, we feel like that we don't we're not having a, we're not getting a better chance. Like they're not looking more into into the into the blacks again to the head coach, even though it is some things that has had that opportunity, and we got so many so many candidates that are black that are black coaches out there that are trying to get the head coaching job, but it seems like uh, the the old black coaches that got into the NFL and got fired, and now they're like assisted and you know what I'm saying. Um, assistant head coaches and stuff, man, they're trying to get on, but they're bringing all these new coaches and to be head coaches feel like they, okay, maybe this person will end up making a change to the NFL team. And we're going to take this new person instead of this old NFL head coach. Now that, that could be something different. That could be a, a, a small quick issue. I mean, what, what are, what are they showing different better than the old head coaches that used to be being the NFL? Okay, let's talk about Tomlin for a minute because you remember Kerry Allen who lived here, the big Steelers fan? Kerry Allen, yes, yes, I do, I do. Okay, well, he and I discussed the Steelers a lot, and I've been telling him for a couple of years, the Steelers are not performing. Tomlin is one of the longest coach, longest tenure of coaches but to me, that team needs an enema because they're just not doing anything. Now, do right. you think that's part of, if so if you're the owner and putting race aside, is it time for Tomlin to go? Would you keep him on as, as your head coach? I mean, he's I don't see why not. I mean, he's he's going out there to go, to go try to go. You know what I'm saying? To 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 win each and every game. He takes one game at a time. Yes. And as you can see, he he knows how to win. He knows how to take it there. 
But you had some head dogs like, you know, for example, Ben Rockersburg. He'd been there for 18 years. And Father Thomas is coming. So it, it ties and needed to change. And Big Ben thinks that he could still do it. They thought that he might have one more year. So they gave it a chance. As you see, Big Ben, everybody was saying Big Ben is losing it. So He was losing it two years ago. He was losing two years ago. Yes. Big Ben said – Big Ben was still out there. He had enough magic to go out there to win the game. But the Steelers was now starting to get towards back to what their old head was, with pretty much the steel curtain. The defense. Their defense was coming back into this. Other than that, Big Ben used to carry the team for a while. He used to carry for that team. But now we will finally see the test if the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to go ahead and take this, you know what I'm saying, take this lead by, uh, you know what I'm saying, by winning their division first. Guys, right now, as you see, Cincinnati is in the Super Bowl right now. Baltimore are, are going to always make noise with Lamar Jackson in there. And, you know, Cleveland, they're going to they, – they're had their ups and downs. They had the ups and downs. But we're going to see if, if Tom is going to end up, you know, making things happen. This is going to be a challenge for him. But I still think that he can still do it. He can – you know what I'm saying? He still can bring the noise out there. But this is going to be a big test next year. And if he fails the test, do you let him go? No, you do not. Okay. You let him go. Okay. I look at it different. I think, I mean, we, I see it in baseball all the time where they just come in and clean house. They were getting rid of everybody and starting over. Mm-hmm. And because you can have a coach and, you know, it's just like players. We've seen – players especially with the rangers just be subpar and then they go someplace else and they excel and that's what i'm looking at is that tomlin's been with the steelers so long that you you're a player you get in a rut and sometimes you just need to move on so you can get a fresh perspective of what's going on because you know, you just keep trying and trying. It's like, well, we won the division, but we're not going to the AFC championship game. And right. it, that, right. that is the goal. I mean, yeah, the Steelers have made the playoffs in what, the last four years, I think? Mm-hmm. Three years? But they were one and done. And yeah. who do you blame that on? Do you blame it on the players? Do you blame it on the coach? Somebody got to take some type of blame. So who would it be? Now, now, now I, now I will say this. I mean, when you say who would it be, I mean everybody needs to take blame. Players yes. and the coaches. It ain't just it ain't just the coaches. No, don't get me wrong. I'm pretty sure Tomlin will go ahead and take leadership by saying, "Hey, put this blame on me, put this blame on me," and not really nothing's going to really happen to him because he's been there. He got a history up there, but. You got some young players that were on that team that was knuckleheads that think they know it all. I mean, they wasn't <laughs> the old Steelers. I love when you use that word. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> but I mean, I get what you're saying. Uh, he he will be tested this coming to these next couple of years. Um, I wish the man the best. Um, you know on his drive and to see if we can go from there. But you know who my team is, the Cowboys. 
Love the Cowboys. And who? Without, you, you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm talking about. The, those guys that are sitting on the couch with the Packers watching the playoffs? Yeah, I know you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, the, the same guy, the same guy that are on your um, – the same guy that are sitting on the couch too is your Green Bay Packers. That's right, and I'm glad they're Mr. on the Aaron couch. Rogers. Well, that's where he belonged. He didn't <laughs> even belong on the field this year, and don't get me fired up about that little clown. He, he he pissed me off so bad for the season started, and he just kept running his mouth, and I got madder and madder and said, they're going to be one and done. And they were one and done, and I was like, yes, the Packers are gone. Now it's time for Aaron to leave. He needs to pack his bags and get the hell out of Wisconsin. And you know what? You called it right, because I remember I talked to you earlier that week, and you were like, I want the Packers to be one and done because they don't need to go far. Aaron Rodgers needs to go on to somewhere else and make them, you know what I'm saying, leave Green Bay alone because he just gives them problem, problem, problem by problem. He causes yes. issues. Yeah, he does definitely do that. So but I guess the man, okay. the man knows how to win games. The man knows what to do. It just seems like he has a problem when he has a problem with the 49ers. He has a problem when he gets in the playoffs. Yeah. Because he just he just has a problem, and he, he looked like Brett Favre when he did in his last playoff game with the Packers in that cold and the snow. He looked clueless. He wasn't ready for it. And it's mm-hmm. like, hey, man, this is why they pay you $35 million a year, and you can't perform. Time for you to leave. Okay. But the million-dollar question for you, Mr. Jeff Dawson. Yes. Oh, God, I hope not. Oh, please, no. (laughs) No. If he comes back and the Packers collapse, then the whole organization needs to be torn down and started over. You don't need Aaron Rodgers, but I don't want him back. He needs to leave town. If he wants to play for somebody else, go play for somebody else, but stay the hell out of Green Bay. It's time for them to move on. (laughs) <laughs> and if they do, if he does come back and those idiots re-sign him, let him play another year, I hope they just get smoked. I hope they have a horrible season. <laughs> horrible. I won't make bones about it. Don't like him when I'm gone. It's time to move on. Damn. Okay. But, yeah, you, 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 definitely, you definitely have special feelings about, about your boy. Just a little. Just a little. And people try and they go, well, you're a Packers fan. Yeah, I'm a Packers fan, but I'm not an Aaron Rodgers fan. And he needs to go. Period. I was, well, you know. You, you gotta, but you got to add somebody else to it. You're also not a Brett Favre fan. I was a Brett Favre fan up until he started his crap and his bitching and whining. It's like, you need to leave, Brett. You need to go. And that's and- – are you just trying to piss no, me off? Because you're doing a really good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, you know, we got to go back to these battles. But I remember one of the things that you were so mad about Brent Farr was he kept retiring and coming back, retiring and coming back. You were like, oh, that's me, God. Just go ahead and just, just leave the game. You Get the hell out of Dodge. Yes. <laughs> and you can't complain about it over and over. Oh, we talked about that all day, every day. And I was like. That ain't for the side. The man just loves the game. He loves the game too much. Now, that's the reason why I understand 
why so many men, because like that's all they got. That's all they know. They come back to the game because that's all. That's what they know. But they gonna let injuries put them out. Now I'm so glad that Tom Brady retired, and he has not really no injuries. He left the game because he said he needs to be there for his family. That was a great thing. I've never really been a big Tom Brady fan, but the way how he ended the game like that, you know, he didn't want no going to every other uh, every other uh, city to to do his farewells and stuff like that. He didn't he didn't ask for all that. He didn't know if it's gonna be his last game or not. But the way how he ended the game, I love that man about that. Tom Brady is a true leader. Well, when he made that comment, I'm thinking, okay. So, have you not been there for your family for the last 22 years? Mm, yeah, but you know it's different, Jeff. Well, I mean, you know, you're talking to a single parent, just like yourself. And yeah, yeah. yeah I had a company to run, which I did, but I also had a family to raise because I kept the kids. And, uh, I did not let the company interfere with my kids this time. I could have taken I could have taken a job that paid more, but I also knew that I would have to work every other Saturday and that would cut into spending time with my kids and that wasn't gonna happen. Period. Right. Right. That's not gonna happen. We're you know, these guys that are athletes, yeah, they gotta work seven days a week unless they're home mm-hmm. and they get some downtime. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's a career you chose. And if you started a family young, yeah, you're going to turn around and they're graduating from high school and you've missed them growing up. Now you want to be with your family. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. they're grown and gone. So who are you with now? That's the way I look at it, mm-hmm. right or wrong. I mean, right. would you? You're right. Do you sacrifice the time that you get to spend with your daughter if you had to work seven days a week? How would you feel about not spending time with your daughter? Man, I'll be, you know, I'll be devastated, man. I, you know, you know, I love my daughter like yes. crazy. You know, she's my, she, she's the reason, she's my why, the reason why I'm out here doing, working so hard and stuff. So. You know, I do anything for her. If I got to quit the game so I can go ahead and, you know what I'm saying, be there for her more, I'm going to do it. I'm not even going to think twice about it because, you know, so she's she's my number one thing. She's my one number yes. one reason. So Yes, she is. Yes, she is. Okay. So do you think the NFL needs to review the Rooney rule? Or what can they do? Do you think the NFL needs more black coaches? And if so, why? I think they need to just give everybody a chance. It don't it, it don't have to be a black coach. It can also be an Asian coach. It can also be an Hispanic coach. It, it can be anybody. But the main thing they're they're looking at is like, oh, we don't have this black coach here. This black coach just interviewed and. Um, now a uh, NFL coach just been filled, but we still got these black coaches right here that still have not got a position, that still haven't got a job yet. 
So they're looking at it more as a black thing. More people look at it as a black thing, but it's more should be about any anybody. You know what I'm saying? Now, don't get me wrong. Like I, I encore of all the other coaches that got to, that got the job. There's nothing against them at all. But I think everybody deserves a fair a fair chance, a fair chance to get to be. And I'll say a, a head coach. You know, what I'm you put in the time and the hard work, and then once you come into that opportunity, you got to be the best candidate for that for that position. And they know if you're the best candidate, but they go with somebody else, they feel like that you know they didn't do their part. They're like what? Like everything went right, everything was good at the beach, but I didn't get the job. Right. So it's other it's other people that's looking at it like, oh, this black coach didn't get this opportunity. This black coach didn't get the opportunity. The Kansas City offensive coordinator, Eric, I forgot his, I forget his last name, but I know he had already tried out for an NFL head coaching position like the last two or three years, and he hasn't got the opportunity on, you know, say on a head, head coaching position. Um, and they look at it as like, you know, saying he's a he's a damn good uh, assistant, you know, say offensive coordinator. You know, saying he could bring a lot to the table. You know, you you got Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, you got athletes over there, but if you got the scheme of the game that knows how to, you know, saying to win games, you get that man the opportunity. So him went on a few interviews and have not got the position. It's a problem, you know. It's a it's an issue, but it could be an issue with the team, but it can also be an issue with the coach too as well. Maybe he's not saying something that these that these teams are not hearing that they want that they want to hear, or these, you know, saying he's not. He's not, you know, what I'm saying, given enough spirit that he needs to to um, to make things happen for that team. You know, so that 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 he can bring to the team, they don't see it. They don't see it. They probably see it from somebody else. So, do they need to review the Rooney Rule? They probably do need to re- re- review, the, uh, review the Rooney Rule, but we also need to also the, like to sharp up the interview skills too as well when it comes to the interview for the head coaching job. Okay, let me give you a hypothetical. I just thought of this. Uh, you know who Charlie Strong is, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know who Mike Gundy is, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. If those were your two candidates and they were interviewing for an NFL head coaching job, which one, based on their past performance, would you hire? Um, you got to think about this that long. I know who I'd hire. Well, I know who you hired, Mr. Oklahoma State Cowboy. Wrong. I'd hire Charlie Strong in a heartbeat. You know why? Because I look at what he did with the University of Texas. He took a program that was in trouble. He turned it around in three years, and then the alumni – threw him out because they're just stupid. Those were stupid white people that threw him out. So now he goes to UFC and has turned that program around because Charlie Strong understands the whole game, the defense, the offense, the special teams. He understands personnel. Mike Gundy, on the other hand, is offensive-minded. Now, yeah, OSU did finally have a defense this year. It took 18 years to get it. Charlie Strong knows how to run 
the entire organization. Mike Gundy is, I would hire him as an offensive coordinator, but nothing else. Mm-hmm. So I would take Charlie, not because of their color, but because of his organizational skills and what he's done with programs. Right. So let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. Where did Charlie Strong come from before he went to Texas? That I don't know. I don't know where he was. University of Louisville? Uh, If Lee Stewart's listening, he would probably know. I don't. Okay. I think it was the University of Louisville. Okay. I think he he ran a good program over there too as well. Um, I know when it comes to coaching, some people look at like what's it, what can they bring to the table? You know, saying the tradition of how they build a team together. Yes, he did bring he did bring Texas together by by uh, establishing their their team by you know saying building them up and then the recruiting game became a lot better. But yeah, Texas did let him go, and that was on some some dumb stuff. With Mike Gundy, he'd been there for how long? And 18 years. Always 18 years. And I'm not mistaken, he yeah. Not, he, I think he has more winning seasons than losing seasons. And they look at what he, can he bring to the table. Why has he has not been let go? And um, if he has not been let go because he knows how to win the games and stuff, that's a strong candidate. Like, who would I end up putting as a head coach? Because he has history of being with one team, and his one team, he might be doing something right over there other than Charlie Charlie, uh, Charlie Strong. Charlie Strong has been with three or four different teams. And but, he, has, he has changed. Go ahead. But with Gundy, look, Gundy made it very clear. He had no aspirations for the NFL or to coach any place else because that's where he played in college. Definitely. So he has been right. good for Oklahoma State. But the one thing he couldn't do repeatedly is beat who? Texas and OU. Well, if you can't beat Texas and OU, you don't win the Big 12. And he didn't win the Big 12 this year. They lost to Baylor. But overall, Mike Mike Gundy has been good for Oklahoma State. There's no doubt about that. But if I look at them side by side, Charlie Strong knows how to manage and organize and build rapidly. He knows what he needs and he gets it. Somehow he does that. Mike Gundy, on the other hand, cannot compete with the top teams year after year after year. I mean, the I would have to they would have to win every year to tie the series, and I would be 135. That's how lopsided this rivalry is. It's it's horrible how lopsided it is. And Mike's been there 18 years and has beaten OU three times. Mm-hmm. Well, Charlie Strong, I, I just – I look at their styles and – I would say, Mike, you want to be an offensive coordinator? Fine. That's going to be my head coach. This man knows how to build. I've got to get him the pieces, but I've seen what he does. He manages the whole game. You manage a portion of the game because OSU lost their defensive coordinator. I forgot where he went to, but he's gone. Mm 
Yeah, yeah. Gundy is an offensive mind. Charlie Strong is a football mind. Yes, that is correct. So that's why I take Charlie Strong over Mike Gundy any day, including Sunday. It's it's not a it's not a there's just no debate. That's me. And I don't care what the race is, I'm looking at their capabilities and their strengths. Charlie is the package. Mm-hmm. Mike is a piece of the package. Right or wrong, that's mm-hmm. the way I look at it. That that's right. That's right. That's completely right. So oh God, don't tell me I'm right. I might actually believe you. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, it's hard for me to say that sometimes, but you are speaking the truth on that. I will give you props when you speak the truth, when you speak the real, the real stuff, and that that was the truth. Charlie, Charlie, Charlie Strong has always been a football mind, not just a, a, a one side, not a special team, not not just a not just an offense, not just a defense. He knows the whole game, and it was a reason why Texas had brought him up there because he 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 knows what he's supposed to do. And his recruiting class, like you know, you got to fight all these other other uh, other schools like Oklahoma and Oklahoma State and Baylor, and you know, you know, what I'm saying to get the best the best stars to come to the school. So he ended up bringing some some top tier stars to his school. And he ended up changing that program around. But again, we still don't know the reason why Texas ended up letting him go. You know, and Texas made some stupid decisions on some well, choices and stuff up there. University of Texas just stupid in general, and I just thought that was a real bonehead move. It's like, really? You let this man go? Okay, mm-hmm. you're just stupid. Good luck with your mediocrity for the next five years. And that's what they've done. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and you, and you see, see they've, been, they've, been, they've been changing coaches from coaches to coaches. Like, I've been in and had like three head coaches already after Charles yes. Sean and then already left already. Yeah, so that was a real good move, wasn't it? No, dumbasses. No, it was not. <laughs> uh, it just, you know, but you know me. I I don't – I really get upset when people start throwing the race card, and it's like, what about the qualifications? Is the person qualified? If they're qualified, mm-hmm. then it is up to the owners. Give them a – Fair interview. Now, if there's a, if you, you know, you can have the best candidate, but your personalities clash. I mean, let's look at Jerry Jones and Jimmy Johnson. Didn't take long for them to clash, did it? No. But, I mean, I've interviewed a lot of people. Obviously, I've worked for a lot of people. And if our personalities really clashed, okay, this isn't helping anybody. I'm leaving or you're firing me one of the two. So what's it going to be? And did, you know, did Flores clash with uh, the Miami ownership, especially on the hundred K and throwing games? Well, if they clashed, you know, Flores can be proud that, Hey, I stuck to my guns knowing the outcome of this, but to file a suit Mm -hmm. on racism that's where I have a problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just think that's stirring a pot that does not need to be stirred. Do you really want to play 
for that team. Now, who was it? The Giants and the Broncos? He said he didn't get a fair shake with them. Right, yeah. Well, okay. I don't know. Did you get a fair shake? Obviously, those interviews aren't going to be released to the public because, to be honest, it's none of our damn business. Because it is the owner's money, and he's about to throw a lot. But, you know, when you look at what an NFL coach makes versus a college coach, where would you rather be? Um, I don't know an NFL coach. Show me an NFL coach is making what Nick Saban makes or what Lincoln Riley is going to make at USC, $10 million. I don't know enough NFL right. coach making near that money. Yeah. Jimbo Fisher. Yeah. Let's go uh, back, you know. Yeah. I'll coach in college and make four times more. Yeah. I've got to work more because we got the recruiting season. But if it's about money, well, hell. I'll go back to Division One or Division Two, and I'll have a real good living. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I've always wondered why would a top Division One football college coach want to go to the NFL, knowing he is about to take a major pay cut? Does that make sense? No, not at all. To me, it doesn't. No. I mean, it's ridiculous what those guys make. It really is pathetic, and we've talked about that. But yes, we have. That's, well, we talked about that with, with football and these baseball players, too, as well, how they pay these baseball players so much money for. And it's not even about the love of the game anymore. They care about more of their money than anything. Yeah, I've already blasted. They need to be with this team for 15 years for – uh, uh, 80, 100 million dollars or something like that. I'm like, is it really worth it? Like, y'all gonna really just pay this person that much money? You know, he's gonna get burnt out in three or four years. So, why would y'all pay this dude all this money like this? Yeah, we talked about that plenty of times, me and you. And yes. I know how much you, you love the game of baseball, but you hate the fact that all these baseball players turn into divas when it comes to things like that, when it comes to this money. This money. Yes. And I already ripped the MLB earlier in this episode about their stupidity and their current lockout. It's just, I don't want to hear it. Go ahead. Destroy your fan base again. It's what you're best at, you dumbasses. It pisses me off. You know, okay, the players. Is it the Detroit Tigers? Oh, the Tigers, you know. They're rebuilding, so I can suffer with them. But when I look at them and I look at the Rangers, and for the for Woodward to say they had a decent year, you lost 102 games, you moron. You didn't have a good year. The Tigers won more they games they had a decent, than you. They said they had a decent year? The Rangers did, yeah. Well, what's lost going on with them? Because... I remember, all... I remember the Rangers went to. I remember, remember. I remember the Rangers went to the World Series three years in a row. I believe for the two, two three years, two. they didn't win. Not none of not, not none of uh, two years, and they won. They won neither one of those at all. Those were decent. And who was the manager? 
And who was the manager of the Rangers when they went to the World Series? Was it Washington? It was Ron Washington. Yes, sir. And he wasn't the most eloquent speaker, to say the least. But what did that man... <laughs> What did that? What did he say? That the way baseball goes. So like, what did he just say? Is he from Louisiana or something? What'd you say? But <laughs> Ron Washington understands the game of baseball and how to manage people, and he proved it. Yeah, they weren't going to beat the Giants in 2010. That's just a given. No one was going to beat the Giants, but the Cardinals mm-hmm. in 2011. I don't even want to talk about that because I'll mention Nelson Cruz and I'll lose my ever-loving mind and how he lost game six. Oh, I don't want to talk about one, it. That, that one play, that one – I still remember to this very day right now. I, I, knew, I knew you were sick. I knew you were sick. I'm still sick, okay? <laughs> Ten years later and I'm still sick and I'm still pissed that the Dallas media gave Nelson Cruz a pass on that ball that he should have caught. Oh, it just pissed me off. But, you know, <clears throat> if someone didn't know who Ron Washington was, they wouldn't know his race. I didn't give a damn about his race. He is one of the best baseball minds out there, and he proved it. And, you know, which team is he with now? I don't know. What team he with now? He got a World Series ring this year. He's with the Atlanta Braves. Really? I didn't know. Well, I, didn't, I didn't keep up with baseball this year, so I didn't know. Yes. I didn't know he went to Atlanta Braves. He went to the Braves. He, you know, he got his personal life squared away. I remember that. Yeah, that's the reason why he had uh, left the game, because he had to get some, some stuff going on. That was well, the time when he was with the Texas Rangers. Well, when you cheat on your wife and she says, I'm going to clean your ass out, you ba- damn well better stay home. And that's why he had to step down. Yeah, and it, and it yeah, took yeah. him two, about two or three years to get it together. But then he got back into the game, and the man now has a ring as an assistant coach. And I about to say, I don't think he, I don't think he was a manager. I don't know. If he was a manager, I would have known that. But you know, he didn't have a problem. He wanted back in the game. He didn't care if he was the manager per se, because he is the best mm-hmm. infield coach out there. It, it is amazing how he trains and teaches these kids how to play the game the right way. And he and Charlie Strong, I look at them, different sport, but the same technique. They know how to teach people and manage them and have them excel and succeed. Mike Gundy can't do that at the scale that those two men do. Mm. That's the way so I look. Where do you at. think Mike Gundy needs to sharpen up his tools at then when it comes to coaching? He's at Oklahoma State. How much can you sharpen them? You can't. You're not going to get blue chip athletes to come to Stillwater, Oklahoma, because it's Stillwater, Oklahoma. I mean, they are. They always battle with Oklahoma for the Oklahoma title. I mean, they always – they're kind of always up there in that skill between with Oklahoma. Uh, I can't really say Texas because Texas haven't been up there in a while. They may have a couple good years. Um, 
who's up there really with Oklahoma? Other than, you know, the Oklahoma, like Oklahoma State always give Oklahoma some issues. They uh, always been going back and forth when it comes to that offensive scheme. I guess now it'd be Baylor. I think it'd uh, probably be Baylor, yeah. But since OU and is it Texas that are bolting yes. to the SEC? Well, yes. look who the Big 12's bringing in. Cincinnati. Bring in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Houston. Brigham Young, uh-huh. and who's the fourth team? Central Florida. Central Florida. Well, two of those teams, Cincinnati and Central Florida, are not slouches. And no, OS, they're, not, they're not pushover team. So OSU, you would think, okay, they'll be the longstanding because between Really, them, Kansas, and K-State are the last of the big eight teams in that division, in Iowa State. So those four <coughs> are the last remnants of the big eight. <clears throat> if Oklahoma State can't win when this these new teams come in and are playing second fiddle, and I actually mm-hmm. see that happening, what do you do? What do you do with your head coach? You let him go, or because of his tenure and Thomas service, make him an athletic director. That's true. That that that'd be good too. But then I mean, you know, who's the athletic director now? Uh, who's the athletic director now at uh, Oklahoma State? Is he and is he is he taking care of his business? That I don't know. But you know, I mean, do we really want to go through what K State did with Snyder and keep him on until he's in a wheelchair? No, no. And, and, and that was, and that was, uh, and Snyder. that was Snyder that, Go ahead. yeah, that was All Snyder right. that was asking, that was Snyder that was asking for that because he was like, look, I want to coach the game, coach the game. And then he had stepped away from it for a bit and they brought him back. I'm like, no, when, once he stepped away, he should have just stayed, stayed away. The man, don't get me wrong, the man has done a lot of great things into this game of cops. College, into this uh, college football game, but it, when the time when it when it's time to step away from the game, it's just time to step away from the game. Yes, and he just wouldn't step away. Same so, thing with the coach from uh from Penn State. Paterno, bring him up. Joe Paterno. Yeah. Yep. Well, and that's the thing about Gundy is. I mean, he's still, if you looked at it year-wise, he could coach another 20 years, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know. So, I don't want OSU to keep him on just because. I want them to keep him on because he keeps succeeding. And, like I said, he has done a lot of good for the football program and for the university. But uh, you can't keep being second fiddle and expect to be get yeah. be the top dog. You just how long do you want to put up with that? If you're happy, if the university's happy with that, okay. Well, then don't bitch and moan. I mean, you know what you're going to get so with. You, is it anything different with Mike Tomlin with the Phillips? Well, I'll be honest, up until this year, up until this season, 
I was ready for Mike Gundy to go. And to be honest, uh, if he has a subpar season next year, then yes, I will be ready for someone to take over the head coaching job of the Oklahoma State Cowboys, just like Tomlin. It's like we need a change. You lost your why can't you know you lost your defensive coordinator? Uh, what other changes are going to happen? And if you go from being ranked number seven, I think at the end of the season to in the twenties, then yeah, yeah, then it's like we need to start looking for a new head coach. So yeah, I would put him and Tomlin in the same boat. You don't have a good year, we got to start looking. And you know what? We talked about this too as well. I remember when you told me, you was like, I'm happy where Oklahoma State is at, but I do not want them to go to the uh, to the playoff in college because we're going to get demolished. Yes. And I was like, well, Jim, you getting going to the playoff, you're going to the playoffs, showing you a better chance. Like, look, Oklahoma's not the only team that can make it to the playoffs, but have Oklahoma made any type of changes when they go to the playoffs? No, because they keep going there and losing on the first playoff game. And, and be done. So I, I clearly understand why you were saying, I don't want Oklahoma State. If they go and play into this uh, this Big 12 game, championship game, I want them to lose because I don't, don't, don't want to see them going to the playoff game and get embarrassed by Alabama or Georgia or whoever they're going to end up playing. Correct. So I, I kind of I get what you're saying because it, it is going to be an embarrassment. And as you see, we did get two embarrassment uh, playoff games. Yes. the championship games, Cincinnati, Cincinnati, don't get me wrong, Cincinnati came through. I, I, I love a team that is not a, a big uh, big five powerhouse team. Um, and, you know, they show their ability to go ahead and think they can try to hang on. But Alabama was just too much for them. Too much. I'm so glad. Georgia. I'm so glad Baylor beat us that we didn't have to play Georgia or Alabama. I really thought they'd get clocked yeah. by Notre Dame, but they did something they hadn't done all year. They had a great third quarter and kept the momentum going. So, yes, I was very pleased. We lost to Baylor and, then, mm-hmm. and had a great game against Notre and, Dame. And then you had Michigan that played against Georgia. and Oh, God. That Georgia was, a- was, that was that was pretty ugly. Now, Jim Harbaugh, he beat, he finally beat Ohio State. He got finally got over that hump. But then he decided to go into this playoff, and he wasn't ready for that. It was too much for him. Yeah. He got his ass kicked. But, you know, <laughs> and, you know, he'd been at Michigan, what, 10 years, and they finally had a winning season and beat Ohio State, and then they get demolished. It's like – yeah. I don't call that progress. I mean, yeah, they finally got some relevancy back to that program, but I'm I'm the same with Jim Harbaugh. It's time for him to go. And I've got a friend who's a big blue. He's a big fan of big blue, and he's right in there. He goes, Harbaugh needs to go. We've had enough of him. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Well, Mr. Thomas, damn, we have talked just about 45 minutes, and I think we fleshed out a lot 
of what I wanted to go over. I wish Lee and Tracy could have got on, but Lee had to work because of the snow day and the panic, and Tracy was babysitting. But I'm glad you took the time to call in. It's always good to hear from you, Jeff, man. You know, you're like one of my favorite guys. And, you know, so I, I, I look up to you on a lot of things as a, you know, so as a father, as an entrepreneur, as a, you know, so a, a, a spokesman. Um, you know, I've been, we've been rocking together over 15 years. So I, I had to come up here and show my love to you. And I wanted to let you know that I appreciate everything that you have done. To, to help me be who I am as of right now, because you are a part of my life. So I, I appreciate it. I think I love you so much for that. Well, and I have definitely enjoyed our friendship for 15 years, even though you're a Cowboys fan and I'm a Packers fan. But that's, <laughs> but, but that's what's made it fun. And, you know, when it comes up to these issues and sports, that's why I had Leon last summer. Uh, you guys know more about this this topic than I do. So that's why I call on you guys. Because whether I agree or disagree, you're going to give me the truth and we can discuss it without losing our minds. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that can't be, there's that that's irreplaceable. And yeah, I love you like a brother too. Appreciate it. I really do. Well, you, well, you'd be, I really enjoyed this, man. I really enjoyed hey, it. I got to do this again. You got that right. Will you be safe on the road? And we will do, definitely. Appreciate it. We'll be in touch, JR. All, All right. right now. Talk to you later. All right. See you. Well, how about that? I didn't think that would go that long, but it did. But yeah, that was JR Thomas. He played in college. His brother. Played in college, was drafted by the Cowboys, went to the Panthers. He played five years in the NFL. So getting his perspective is a hell of a lot more enlightening than anything that I could add to it. I was just sorry the other two guests couldn't make it, but hey, they had things going on, which that does happen. But we are out of time, and this I'll just say, a bunch of this information for the next show because I only got through about half of it. Uh, Yeah, I don't want to get into COVID. I'll do that later. But hey, if you enjoyed this episode, leave comments. uh, Become a subscriber. It starts at $2.99 and goes up to, I think the platinum was like $48, but I'm not sure what's in there. When you go to the BBS radio site, You can look at all their different ways to contribute. All of my books are on Amazon and there's a bunch of Jeff Dawson. So if you just type in my name, you're going to get the rest of us. So my, some of the titles to look for are Love's True Second Chance, Occupation, Sabotage, Women of War. If you put any of those in the search bar, then you get to the right Jeff Dawson. That would be me. If you're looking for a speaker, and that's one thing I've been putting out, is some videos, especially to the local colleges on breast cancer relationships. I've got that out there. And then my management speeches from the book Cutting to the Chase 
where I really focus on accountability because any episode you listen to, that is one word that keeps coming up over and over again. And it just does. And there's a lot of truth to it. Accountability. That's what I'm big on. Holding relevant meetings that actually address the topics at hand and not spending an hour, an hour and a half and doing nothing and how to deal with employees. And you kind of heard a take I had today. I can look at Charlie Strong and uh, Mike Gundy and hands down, I take Charlie Strong as a head coach because he has the skills to run a whole team, whereas Mike Gundy is more effective at offense. And those are the things as managers we need to recognize and understand. We also talked a little bit about Ron Washington. Learning how to get the most out of your employees is critical. And I've learned that a lot of times in coaching kids in baseball. It all ties together. It really does. Identifying what they're good at, focusing on that, and making them excel. And when your employees or your players excel, everyone is happy. The wins... The W's and L's take care of themselves. But when you build unity in a good work environment, everybody wins. Well, that is it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Please leave comments. Let me know what you think of the show. If you enjoy the format, if you enjoy the topics that I cover, if there are topics you think I should cover, put those in the comments and I will look into it if it's something of interest i'll research it and we'll get on to it well that is it for today so i will see you on the 19th and uh hopefully i'll see you on the 19th because i'm having my hernia surgery the friday before that goes well then we'll be doing the show y'all have a great weekend stay warm and if you see a snowflake don't lose your ever loving mind because you know they do melt Y'all have a good weekend, and I'm out. I hope you enjoyed our time together. I know I did. Without you wonderful listeners, this show would not be possible. If you want to know more about me and how my brain works, that's a scary thought. Check out my books at jeffdawsononamazon.com, websites, LDDJ Enterprises, and jeffdawsonauthor.site for upcoming releases and teaser excerpts from past and present publications. You can also contact me at Facebook, LDDJ Enterprises Publishing, or email LDDJEnterprises at gmail.com, or on Twitter at JeffDawson59. Have a great week and look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Dawson's Domain.